I think that especially in light of the world we live in now, I think using music as an escape and reminding ourselves that I started playing this instrument because it was fun, that's, that's the goal. Hi, I'm Sean Perrin, and you're listening to episode 159 of the Clarinet Podcast, the show for clarinetists. Today's special guest on the program is Clarinet HQ, which is Meredith and Mike Gersten. We discuss the value of having fun in music education, their creative Instagram and YouTube channels, why pay what you want might be the future of music, and how we can all work to make music more accessible to a wider audience. Be sure to check out their website at clarinethq.com to access all of their material and content. Before we get started today, I would like to give a huge shout out to our season sponsors for making this show possible. That's Leger Reads and Bakun Musical Services. Imagine a read that lets you focus on your music, lasts for months instead of days, and even saves you money in the long run. It's all possible with Leger Reads, the world's leading synthetic read brand made right here in Canada. The European cut read is preferred by Leger artists all over the world, including Eddie Daniels, David Schifrin, Freddy, and many others. It offers a warm, clean sound with great ease of articulation and is now available for E-flat, B-flat, and bass clarinet. Learn more at your local music store or at Legere.com. That's L-E-G-E-R-E.com. Take your playing to the next level with Bakun Musical Services. With 14-day trials, free shipping on eligible orders, and expert advice, you can be sure you are making the best choice for your musical needs. As a thank you for listening to the podcast, you can save 10% on any purchase at bakunmusical.com. That includes barrels, bells, mouthpieces, and even a clarinet. Just use code CLARINET at checkout for 10% off your purchase at bakunmusical.com. That's code CLARINET at bakunmusical.com. I'm here in the podcast today with Clarinet HQ, who is Meredith and Mike Gersten. They're coming to us today from McAllen, Texas. So welcome to the show. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. It's so excellent to have you guys on. You're, you're doing so much fun stuff on Instagram, and uh, I see you've also got a great YouTube channel going now, some really great stuff. So we're going to talk about all of those things. But first, I'm just wondering if you could give the audience a quick introduction to what is Clarinet HQ and maybe a little bit about each of you. So Clarinet HQ is a free educational resource. It's directed towards new clarinet players uh, and their band directors as well with uh, accessibility in mind. So a little bit about me, um, I have my bachelor's in music education from the University of Kansas, and I've taught for about 10 years in the public schools, teaching everything from elementary music to, um, to band, to choir, to now uh, college level music appreciation. And then I, I play clarinet as much as I can um, in my free time. Yeah, I, uh, I also have a bachelor's degree in music education. That's actually how we met uh, in, in school. Um, and then I went on and, and did a master's and doctorate. So I, I now teach at um, a community college here in South Texas. But I also I spent some time in, in the public schools as well, but not uh, full-time and not as much as Meredith has. Yeah. I forgot to mention, I also have a master's degree. We got our grad, <laughs> grad degrees together. So you met at your master's degree program then? We, we met during our undergrad. And then we, uh, when I went out to do my doctorate in in uh, Colorado, uh, Meredith came with and, and did her master's degree there. So I always love talking to people who are musicians and, and couples. Like me and my wife are both musicians, or my wife and I, I guess. 
Some, some grammar person is going to send me a note about that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll be surprised the messages I receive. But um, anyway, I find that like we we never really do all that much playing together. So I'm I'm interested in those people who kind of do because you seem to have I don't know somehow found a way to kind of I don't know make that happen. So uh, what's that like, and how do you sustain like a playing playing uh, relationship? I suppose it's probably fair to say it, it's not always easy, and there was definitely a time where we couldn't play together Mm -hmm. and it sort of has taken us a while to kind of compartmentalize and even with clarinet hq we have a weekly meeting right where you know we are we are not husband and wife we are co-workers Mm -hmm. who are meeting about our business yeah and and same thing with rehearsals if we're when we're working on music we have scheduled rehearsals so we can sort of like take off our spouse hats and put on our, you know, professional hats. Yeah, it's a great way. And also recognizing that we both, we think very differently, even if we're in the same area of expertise where our brains function very differently. And that that is what I think has taken a while to get used to, but... We will have been married for 10 years uh, in two weeks. Oh, wow. So. Happy anniversary. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank <Thanks>. you. <laughs> so, of course, this uh, not just playing together, you're also creating some really interesting online content. So you mentioned your niche is uh, younger students and their band teachers who are, are just starting playing. So I think that's a pretty great niche because those kids are so looking for stuff online these days. So what has that been like developing content and identifying this audience and uh coming up with the fun uh, clarinet characters and all this? The idea came to me like when I was uh, teaching band, actually maybe a little before that. And I just wanted like a fun clarinet HQ account, like Instagram account. But I really wanted uh, to provide more educational material for these younger students or these newer clarinet players because there are always students out there who are super excited about their instrument, but don't necessarily have the resources, whether it's in their band program or whether it's at home to learn as much as they can because they maybe they don't have the money for private lessons. Or, I mean, we all know how expensive A2 books are. Um, or even because of where they live. Exactly. Um, I remember right. during my student teaching, teaching at a, a rural school, and you had these kids who, who would have loved to have taken private lessons, but they would have had to drive an hour each way. Mm-hmm. And if you take an hour lesson, that's three hours out of your day. And, and not everyone can do that, e- even if they want to. Right. Um, and so the idea was to create content that was about as long as my own attention span, as I mentioned, about the length of a gnat. And uh, so these short videos that are hopefully fun and maybe even a little stupid, but we it's, it's on purpose, right? To give students some extra things that they can do either on their home or on their home, <laughs> At their home. Um, sitting on their roof. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, right on top of the house. Or, with uh or with their band director well that's, that's so true though like the whole they say uh if you're laughing you're learning and i think that that's definitely true do you want to go into that philosophy a bit because so many music teachers i find um i had some experiences in the past actually with teachers who were very severe and strict about kind of the music and treating it with like great seriousness and stuff and uh 
I don't know. I never quite jived with that kind of side of things, but I'd, I'd love to hear your kind of philosophical perspective on why that's important. Yeah, obviously, when you get to a certain level, you, you maybe do have to take it a little more seriously. But when you're talking about kids who are in, you know, banned in their school program, how many of them are, are going to become professional musicians? You know, for, for most of them, you want them to learn, you want them to have a good time and, and have a positive musical experience that they can carry with them for the rest of their lives. And, and I think, you know, that that's kind of the, the philosophy is right. it, it, no matter what, it should be fun. Right, right. I think there's time to have reverence for the composers and of the pieces that you're working on. And um, I think that especially in light of the world we live in now, I think using music as an escape and reminding ourselves that I started playing this instrument because it was fun. That's, that's the goal. And like Mike said, like creating these lifelong stewards of the arts. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I've often thought that uh, one of the roles of kind of school band or school orchestra or whatever is almost more to create audiences than musicians, because those who are interested would have probably done music anyway, whether or not there was a band program, they would be maybe not a clarinet player, but maybe a pianist or a composer or whatever. And those who are interested enough to take part are going to be interested enough to watch later and want to play into their adulthood, which I think so many adult players these days, there's so many great programs for adult players out there as well. Clarinet Mentors is just one great example, but even locally, I mean, we have a music organization here called Westwinds. It takes people, if they want to play as a beginner, uh, you know, as an older person just retired or whatever, they can join. And there's different levels and it's, it's amazing. But so many people coming back to that come back because of the fun and the camaraderie they remember at band, which they gave up through college, then they had kids, then, they, <laughs> then their kids had kids, and then now they're 65 and they're looking around like, you know, I'd love to get that clarinet out again. Talk to someone today, actually. That's the greatest. I love, I love meeting um, adults that have come back to their instruments that's a really special thing. It's, it's something I see in my classes because I, I have a lot of um, adult students in my academic classes at the college and we always have introductions and they always say, yeah, I, I played saxophone when I was in, in junior high and I really wish I hadn't given it up. And, and you hear that all the time. I enjoyed it, but I, I wish I could go back in time and, and have stuck with it. That is such an important thing. You know, it's so funny you say that because I use this when I teach music clinics. A lot of times I go to schools, not anymore, but um, I used to go to schools and we would have, uh, it depended on the kind of the area of the city and, you know, uh, you know, the, the people's beliefs and whatever. But some people, some schools, sorry, were forced to take band and that maybe didn't align with their family values or whatever. And they wanted to play baseball instead or whatever. So they really didn't want to be there. And I remember I would always tell these classes, like, look, you don't have to be here forever, but you do have to be here for junior high school. And I've never once met an adult who told me they were disappointed they learned how to play music. However, I meet the ones every day who wish their parents had allowed them to learn. And this is an opportunity. So instead of saying I have to be at band, you say I get to be at band. And if you don't like it, then you can leave. But you have to be here for now. Right, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And I should say, you know, one of, one of the things we do to try to uh, create this kind of low pressure, fun atmosphere, like Mara said, we try to keep the videos short. And so you kind of have attainable goals in each video. But 
uh, Meredith's usually the one in front of the camera and we purposely leave <laughs> in mistakes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe not all of them, but, <laughs> but we at least leave in some of them right. because I, I know I, I still feel this way. I, I feel pressure to be perfect. You know, you can't squeak during a performance. You can't play a wrong note. Everything has to be flawless because we're used to hearing recordings where they've done editing. And so, you know, every now and then Meredith will accidentally say the wrong thing or... or I'll call a key signature a time signature, which right. is just, you know, I have a master's in music. And Wait, what's the difference? That, no, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> but, but we leave it in and, right. and make a joke out of it to, to kind of normalize mistakes because it's part of the process. Well, it's so funny you say that, too, because, again, as a teaching tool, I found this to be super helpful. Um, I think that a lot of teachers are afraid to sound bad in front of their students. But I purposely sound bad in front of my students sometimes because I want to show them, you know, what minor changes, for example, in the embouchure will do. Or, or if you're not covering the tone holes right or something, yeah, this is what happens. Look, I mean, <laughs> you know, I can sound like that, too. But with this minor change and a little bit of thinking about it, I sound like this, you know, and you can sound like that, too, if you do the exact same thing. That's why you want to practice, essentially, you know, and they, they often can't believe that, you know, someone playing on a clarinet that you know looks like mine, and I guess that yours do, too. They're like, they can't believe that a clarinet that looks like that could sound like that if you if you make it, <laughs> you know, and I often tell them, too, you know, if you take a much cheaper instrument, I put my mouthpiece on there, it'll sound like me. That is something with um, we really try in the videos when we're explaining a concept. This is what it can sound like if it's done incorrectly. And so we really try to make sure that that is what it sounds like when it's incorrect. And then this is what it sounds like when it's correct. So that we have these good comparisons. And then it takes time. None, right. none of us got uh, to sounding the way we do overnight. I mean, we, it's taken years and years of, of patience. Yeah. So I got to ask about the amazing video editing skills you seem to have. Who's got those and, and how do you come up with this stuff? Like today I saw a video you had posted. Um, I think you're cleaning a clarinet thumb tube with a, with like a <laughs> looks like oh, a, yeah. I was like, oh, what? Yeah, that... is, this is some Hollywood level production here. <laughs> I give all credit to Mike. I've edited some videos. But Mike is the one who, he's just fantastic. I've, I've had so much fun learning how to do that. But if you go back like a year, <laughs> uh, you can see that not only has our equipment gotten better over time, but we've slowly been learning how to use it. So our early videos are, are really rudimentary. And, and since then... We figured out how to kind of play around with things and, and do some interesting stuff. And I, I think that's that's part of it. You know, having these kind of silly things where um, we shrink down Meredith and she's cleaning out a tone hole with a giant Q-tip. You know, I, I think those are just like things that hopefully make it a little more engaging and make talking about maintaining your clarinet, you know, at, at least a little interesting. Again, yeah, especially for kids. And it's funny because I've done a few YouTube videos too, which I purposely tried to make kind of fun and, and kind of uh, almost ridiculous, actually. And uh, some people didn't like it, but other people really liked it. And I'm, in a way, I just don't care. I'm like, this is the video I wanted to make. It's kind of funny. I, I had a good time with it. I've done a few and I have a few more planned. If I can ever find time amongst this podcasting thing, maybe I'll... <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, I, I do think it's 
there's maybe a risk that if you go a little too silly, like, like we have, there will be some people mm -hmm. who dismiss you because musicians are supposed to be serious and clarinet is a serious thing. But I, I think we're okay, especially because we're targeting younger and, and, and developing clarinetists. We're okay if, if somebody who's working on orchestral auditions dismisses us mm -hmm. because we're it's not serious enough. I also think if you're a band director, so when like when I'm teaching students of any age, obviously you want age appropriate material, just like you would select a, a piece of music that's challenging to them, but also isn't unattainable. And I think that that's also part of it is, is understanding that if a band director is looking for extra material for their clarinetists, then this is a great place to start because we are specifically looking for those students. You know, if a band director is in the middle of Montana and they're the only band director in their entire school district and their main instrument is trombone. Maybe they need some uh, extra help because I've been there and it's hard. <laughs> I love how your website's laid out too because it's your niche is so clearly represented. Like you've got the free music for the kids, you've got the band director's kind of corner and then you've got you know some extra stuff on there and links to the YouTube and all that kind of stuff. So let's talk about some of those resources. You mentioned you've got a few free resources that are now available online, including the over the break survival guide, which I'm, uh, or crossing the break survival guide, sorry, which I'm quite interested in. So when the pandemic started, I was thinking about how, like band students who now, and band directors who they, they don't get to play with their kids anymore, or at least they weren't in the beginning. And everyone was concerned about students practicing. And so I was, I thought about maybe seeing if I could write some duets where students could play along with me in a YouTube video and the music would be like up on the page, right? With a little mini lesson beforehand. And so it kind of started that way. And then um, in our meetings, Mike brought up this idea of like maybe creating a multimedia workbook where we pick a concept that students have to learn on the clarinet and we, we write duets that also coincide with YouTube videos that have little, that have lessons in them, but also you can play along with the exercise that's in the workbook. And then on each page of the workbook, there are other aspects of playing the clarinet that are really important when you're learning how to cross the break. And that's, am I forgetting anything? No, um, I think that's, that's kind that's of like good. <laughs> the, the process for it. Um, and you mentioned previously the clarinet characters. Mike was the one, he, he put like eyeballs on a clarinet and I absolutely loved it. And then it just kind of escalated from there. And so that's why you'll see the, see all these characters. See, I that. thought you were the one who started that. Really? Yeah. I thought you were. I, <laughs> I mean, I'll take credit for it. That's fine. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, no, it's funny. Like just going through the book here and, and uh, you've got little like kind of memes and fun things for the kids to kind of laugh at along the way and kind of enjoy themselves. Like there's this page here about, uh, you got to build muscle in your embouchure and then you've got the muscly clarinet guy there. It's pretty, it's pretty good. So, so people can actually play along with these videos for practice or sorry, with the books, I mean, with the videos. Yes. Yeah. So the, you can download the workbook for free from the website. There are links within that, within the workbook, um, just before each of the exercises. So the idea is you 
practice and you learn the exercises and then you click on the YouTube video and there's another lesson there that is similar in content, but a little extra. And then there's the play along video. Yeah. And, and each play along video, um, the the duet is played twice once where right uh it's always meredith playing but uh once where she's playing both parts so you can sort of play that that part your part with somebody and then the second time she only plays the second part and you're kind of on your own so as you feel more comfortable you can move to that second one yeah and i love the fact that these are you know you talk a lot about accessibility and making things that are are available um, for people. Are all the PDF products that you have on your website like that? Or does there come a point where you're going to start charging for them? I mean, I would hope that if someone's going to use this for teaching in their studio, they're going to pay versus, you know, a, a child who's trying to learn but doesn't have much money. We talked a lot about should we charge for some things, but our focus was on accessibility. And um, I remember reading about a coffee shop somewhere that did a pay-as-you-wish model. So you you could not pay for your coffee, you could pay $20 for your coffee. And when we looked into that, there were, there were other places that did that. Um, I even saw that uh, Radiohead released an album. Yeah, I was just going to say. pay-as-you-wish. Yeah, which I, that stuck out because I was thinking, I know Sean, yeah, Sean loves Radiohead. I love Radiohead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, you know, and I'm not uh, embarrassed to say that I paid nothing for that album when it came out because I was like, I got to take advantage of this amazing opportunity. But then I bought the $80 box set as well. So, <laughs> Right. <laughs> well, and, and that's part of it is, you know, we're hoping that people will look at what we're doing and whether it's the workbook, you know, they download the workbook and say, this is great, I'm going to pay for it. Or even if it's a year or two down the road that they say, you know, I've been getting a lot of use out of this. I wasn't able to pay for it back then, but now I am. It's a bit of a gamble. We, we don't want to ever force people to pay because that ruins the accessibility so we're kind of gambling that enough people will like what we're doing and, and like what we're trying to do and, and help support that. Yeah, no. And I think that that would be kind of one thing that I would you know advise to the listeners, because I was going to you know suggest everyone run and check it out and you can access it for free and stuff. But uh, if you can support the project and you are using it for teaching and, you know, making money off using the book in your lesson, <laughs> it would be really awesome. I think if you'd, if you'd uh, you know, contribute to what they're doing so that, you know, at the end of the day, it enables more. You know, it enables you guys to do more of this stuff if you're supported in that way. So uh, I always like to encourage that sort of uh, thing. But yeah, this is a great workbook. You've got links to the actual YouTube videos in here. So it's super accessible. A kid could throw this on their iPad and uh, surf right around on your YouTube channel and, and uh, really kind of get into your whole whole brand. So it's a, it's a brilliant little project you've got going here. I think it's really, really something. What has the feedback been from other people using it or kids who've learned from it or... It's been very positive. Um, before we officially launched it, we sent it to quite a few colleagues who we knew would rip it apart. <laughs> <laughs> and we told them, please 
don't hold back. And they didn't. And it's really nice to have friends like that. Uh, and that <laughs> what we, do you mean rip it apart it, though? It, like, like pedagogically or cause they didn't like the pictures or, or both. <laughs> um, some one, someone found a typo. Like I think I spelled one of our names wrong or something. <laughs> um, you know, things like that, but also, also pedagogically band directors and clarinet players. And so after that, like once we, once we posted it, um, we've been pushing it, um, we could probably push it a little more, but we've been pushing it as much as we can. And uh, but the feedback has been really positive from the clarinet players that have tried it. They've um, they've said that they've really enjoyed the workbook. Like they 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 appreciate the fact that you can download it, and then there are also corresponding YouTube um, videos that go with it. I think that's like the nice thing. And and hopefully we'll keep hearing from people because yes. What we really Please. want to tap into what younger students, new clarinetists and 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 their teachers need. Yes. You know, and so if if someone gets in touch with us and says this is great, but what we really what would really be helpful is blank. Yes. Then we want to know that because Absolutely. we'll we'll get working on it you know, tonight. Absolutely. It's funny. You make the joke about, um, the typo, just as I have the page open where you're making the joke about a minor, who's like a guy who's a minor <laughs> and then a minor, the scale, yeah. <laughs> the key signature, yeah. I guess. And, yeah. uh, you know, this is, I love this little crossing the break book specifically because, um, this is so much of the stuff, which I find I have to explain when I go to a band program. Um, but your pictures here make it so much more helpful. And it's, I think it's a stuff, like you say, a lot of band teachers, maybe they play trombone or, or whatever. They don't know these little tricks, like rolling the pinky up to the A key or making sure you don't move your thumb, thumb wrong on the register key. And uh, these are the things, they're the real reasons for the, all the squeaking that band teachers end up complaining about, <laughs> you know? So I think that this could really, really help people. Yeah, a lot of uh, uh, students and even band directors, you know, they make a big deal about crossing the break. It's this really scary thing. And I thought this myself, I thought it was an embouchure thing. I had to do something different with my embouchure to cross the break. And most of the time, it's just because their their hands are kind of small and they don't cover all the tone holes. Mm -hmm. You know, it's something that that simple. Yeah. Even if you're a band director that plays, that feels comfortable with clarinet, the resources we provide with Clarinet HQ we hope are, are just that like an addition for, cause there are always students who either need some extra resources that, and you're already teaching like five band classes. Uh, and it's like just one other thing that you have to make copies of or, or figure something out for this student. And so then the, the other idea is that band directors can um, say, go to this website when, when you get home, check it out and, and try some of their, YouTube play alongs. And that can be like the extra resource for them to maybe take some of the load off. Well, I think I'll definitely be telling some of my uh, band teacher colleagues about this too, for sure, because they're looking for stuff. I mean, I, I did some lessons yesterday and uh, I don't know how much Zoom teaching you guys have, have done, but uh, I'm finding it very fatiguing because some of the schools, for example, instead of well, not, not to mention, cause you're just staring at a screen all day and the lights in your face. And some of the schools don't want to do a group clinic type thing because they're finding that it's not productive to have 13 kids on the screen. And I agree, it's it's not really productive. So, But their solution is to do like 13, 20-minute back-to-back sessions. And I'm like, are you, are you serious? So oh, man. Um, it's a long, 
afternoon or whatever it happens to be, you know, and you're shifting up constantly and half the kids can't get online. And amazingly, people still forget their music when they're at home somehow. I don't know how that happens. Um, so it's, uh, it's pretty funny. But it would be nice some of these kids, because some of them, I don't know, again, how it's like down there, but they've basically pulled out of school and they're just doing homeschool now. But they have nothing to practice because there's no school band music. There's nothing. And they're, you know, younger kids who I think would really really get into this kind of stuff. So thank you so much for, you know, all your, your effort with, with working for this. And I really hope that the clinic community does check out what you're doing and, uh, you know, takes advantage of the free download to try it out, but then might consider also taking it to the next level and, uh, helping you out. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I want to ask you just one more question about that coffee shop. Um, do you think that they, what book was that? Was it Chris Anderson's free? I saw it in in the news somewhere, mm-hmm. and th- this was a number of years yeah. ago. So I, I had to go back and and Google and it. It but. was it was along with I don't I I hope I'm not making this up, but I I swear I remember that it was along with um, research that had been done that showed that when you do something like a pay what you can for people who maybe are down on their luck and can't afford the coffee, it ended up where the people who can pay end up paying more than the place would have charged. So they ended up making more in the end. That, that was my question is because I know that Radiohead made more on that album than the previous ones. And it wasn't just because they didn't have a label. It was considerably more too. And uh, I just wondered how it played out for the coffee shop because I, I've, I would love the chance some mornings for a free coffee. You know, if you forget, forget your wallet or whatever, but there's other days where I'm sure, you know, you're in a good mood, you're, had a great chat with the barista or whatever, you just throw a 10 in the bucket and call it a day, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, if, if this works, it would be nice if others within the music world kind of found a way to do something similar mm-hmm. because music and clarinet can be expensive. It, it can keep people out. And yeah, definitely it, creates barriers. Yeah, we, we want as many people in as possible. You know, we want the music world and the clarinet world to be as inclusive as possible. So hopefully this can lead the way kind of. Yeah. And, you know, I was talking with someone just the other day about the economy of scale and how something that might cost a lot to like print out. And then you have a small audience, like let's say books like these cost $10 to print and then you have to charge 20, but there was so much research time and you're making 10 bucks a book, but you can only sell, you know, 30 copies or something that, might seem like, oh, I'm making $10 a book. That's so great. But if a thousand people download it for 50 cents or a dollar or whatever, it's so much better, <laughs> you know? Yes. So although yeah. the the number seems smaller, it's actually bigger. So that's one thing that book called Free I was talking about. I think the guy's name is Chris Anderson. It's about the barrier, like the mental psychological barrier between zero and one penny. <laughs> because once you get there, it's so difficult to convince people to pay. Even think about like apps that you might use. You know, everyone downloads a free app or whatever, but to pay $1.99 for the same app, they're probably not even going to try it. And some of the research in the book was like, we're talking millions of uh, downloads different between an app that charges a dollar and an app that charges nothing and then has paid add-ons or whatever. But uh, it's it's very interesting to me because I think you're right. If, if you could reach a lot of people for a smaller impact per person, ironically, you'd be sustained at the same level as if you charged more for a smaller audience. You know what I mean? Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yeah. So, and it would allow those who can't afford it all to still get access. Whereas those who, you know, can contribute more would, yeah. So you, one donation of like a hundred dollars for a book like this. I mean, how many students would that enable to read it? You know? 
my right. goodness. Well, I mean, I, I was thinking the other day that I'll buy a, an etude book or a piece of music for $10, $15. And if, if somebody told me, mm-hmm. would you pay an extra $5 if it meant that someone who couldn't afford this got it for free, I would gladly, you know, I, I'm lucky enough that, that, you know, we, we both have full-time jobs. I can afford to pay $20 instead of $15 for a piece of music. And knowing that that helps someone else get it for free, yeah, th- that makes me feel good. Uh, so hopefully that's the mindset with this is it, yes, you could get it for free, but if, if you're able by paying, you're allowing someone who, who really can't afford it to get it for free. And hopefully that just the good feeling yeah. is, is worth it. <laughs> kind of like a pay it forward. Yeah. Yeah. We have that here actually, where you can go to a restaurant and if they add $5 to your bill, um, you then enable, I can't remember if it's a senior's home or a, you know, a homeless shelter or whatever. It enables a meal for someone at, th- at those kind of places. And I've seen, it's just on the receipt or whatever. It's like, check here and we'll add $5 to your bill and, and it'll help out whatever. And I thought that was really cool. That is wow. really cool. I've always thought the uh, rounding up, like at the grocery store, they'll do, they'll ask if you want to round up to the nearest dollar for a specific charity. That always seems to be like a really easy thing to do. Yeah. And, and, and I wonder if they don't end up getting more money than if they were. Right. Well, it's like you were saying, you might be rounding up 40 cents, but right. if thousands of people round up 40 right. cents, that, right. that has a big impact. I almost thought about doing this once in my lesson studio back when I had like 20 or 30 or 40 students um, a week. I had the idea that it'd be kind of cool to have one student who was sponsored by the rest of the students and there'd be like an optional, you know, for $5 a month, do you want to support this other endeavor? And then we'd have another student that would come in and get lessons kind of on scholarship. And I, I never did it because I was like, oh, I feel like if I want to donate the time, I should just do it, <laughs> not ask the people to to pay me for it. But maybe I could have, I don't know, could have donated to something or whatever, but it's, uh, there's, there's many kind of creative ways to think about this stuff. And uh, I recently did a presentation on price psychology for musicians um, with the Music Business Summit, which maybe you guys want to check out. I'll see if I can get you a link for to watch some of that stuff. But uh, it's, it's stuff to think about, you know. Musicians don't often think about this, these kind of things. How did you get so well-versed in all this, like the video design and thinking about these price concepts and all this, all this stuff? Lots of research. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just... I I, I don't think we, a year or two ago, especially two years ago, I don't think we knew anything about this. But with the video editing, I've watched hours and hours of of video tutorials. I also also think, you know, as of late, Merith's been in a, a certificate program for arts administration. And so... We talk a lot about accessibility mm-hmm. um, and the barriers that are created within uh, the arts world, um, not just within music. And I keep coming back to the fact that I was in a, a very privileged situation when I was growing up. So my aunt happened to play clarinet um, and she taught me private lessons from junior high until I went on to college. And my parents paid $10 for what sometimes ended up being an hour or an hour and a half lesson, just depending on how, like what we were working on. And that is just, it's, it's not fair, right? It's like everyone should have that opportunity. No one should, if if you want to study clarinet, you should be able to study clarinet. Or if you want to go 
to the symphony, you should be able to go to the symphony. When we were talking about the pay what you want model, it kind of, it got me like really fired up. And, and even more so now that I'm, I just took a marketing class and like all these things reading about accessibility in the arts as well. What's coming next? What are you guys working on as far as upcoming videos or projects, books? There are um, a couple of things working on. Um, one of them is we're working on getting our videos um, translated so that we can have subtitles um, with the YouTube videos so more people can access them depending on like you don't just have to speak English in order to understand. Uh, which languages are you looking at? Spanish and maybe French or something like that or what? Spanish, French. We'll, we'll probably mean, anything. Yeah, we'll probably start there. Chinese. If, uh, if any clarinet listeners feel, because the, the struggle with right. translating these videos is you need someone who speaks two languages fluently. And knows music. And knows clarinet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because how do you, if we're talking about the register key or tongue position, you might need to know a little bit about the clarinet to you know, best translate that. Yeah. So I don't, maybe there's a clarinet listener out there who would want to take that on absolutely yeah get in touch that'd be awesome you know it reminds me uh because google translate doesn't work so well for clarinet talk i mean sometimes i get messages at work from people and i'm like oh i don't know what language this is and i'll pop it into google translate and it doesn't know what anything's going on it'll say like oh i'm looking for a nozzle or whatever <laughs> I'm like i it's <laughs> like a direct translation for whatever you know it meant yeah. and uh like, it's a lot of just kind of like um, ascertaining what's going on the other thing, the other project that, that we're working on is another workbook um, for beginning, like getting started on the clarinet. Like you, you got your brand new clarinet. Now what, now what do you do? <laughs> yeah, that's a great topic. Which probably, maybe we should have started with that one. Yeah, it's, it's weird that, we that about it, yeah, the maybe. second one is getting started. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but. It's a great project you guys have going on. I really wish you... All the best of luck with it. I definitely want to invite all the Clarinet listeners to, you know, go check it out and use it in your studios and uh, encourage your students and friends. Check out the YouTube channel and also take in some of this great uh, print material and, you know, I guess digital material nowadays and throw it on your iPads. <laughs> Do some serious, serious uh, learning. So is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? If you want to follow us on YouTube, it's just Clarinet HQ. And then we're on Instagram, clarinet.hq. You can email us at clarinethq at gmail.com. Share your thoughts. We, we want to know what, what people yes. think of this and, and what they'd like us to do in the future. Absolutely. And you can also check out their website at clarinethq.com. And also if you're a band director out there, you know, I'm listening, make sure you check that out. So do you guys have a Patreon or anything I could direct people to as far as supporting your work as well or no? There's a donate button. On our yeah. website, on the free music page. Well, thank you so much to both of you for coming on the show today. It was really a pleasure talking to you. Meredith, we met one time in person down at uh, Clarinet Fest. Was it 2016? Uh, both... It was in Lawrence, Kansas. And I was just telling Mike this. We met and you were just starting Clarinet. Yeah, it was like my like, first summer. You were telling me about it. Doing it. Yeah. So I was just, I was just thinking because you mentioned uh, University of Kansas. And I remember that was where Clarinet Fest was. And I was sure you went down there. And, you know, and just to tie everything together to my other podcast, even, there's a guy named Brad Osborne who's from University of Canvas. He works there. He wrote a book about Radiohead that I talked to on the show, my other show. Yeah, I remember. No way. I was like, you won't believe Small this, world. but I've walked those halls. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, I remember it, it was early on in Meredith was back then. We we were talking about this. She said, "Yeah, this guy's really nice, but I don't know a clarinet podcast. Yeah, exactly. will, will that work? You know, that's so funny because so many people have said that. Well, most usually they're non-clarinetists, but <laughs> but uh, so many people have said that to me. I remember one of my friends was like." there's no way you're going to be able to talk about just clarinets. And, and here I am, you know, five years later, and there there could have been like bass clarinet and contemporary clarinet clarinet and whatever. I mean, it seems like there's just so many people to talk to. It's uh, it's a good thing. And, you know, you can have the conversations again and have people back on and it just, it never ends. So. <laughs> yeah, you definitely have a great thing going. I'm, I'm glad, uh, selfishly, but I really have enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> No, I'm super glad that you guys are, are enjoying it. I'm so glad you could come on. And I do hope to meet in person in reality one day again when all this goes away. So, well, if you're listening to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Amazon Music, the show will end here. But if you're supporting on Patreon at clarinet.com slash subscribe for as little as $1 a month, you'll get access to a little bit more extended content. And uh, you can head over there at clarinet.com slash subscribe. Thank you so much, Mike and Meredith and uh, Clarinet HQ for coming on the show today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Clarinet Podcast. If you're new around here, do not forget to dive into our now quite extensive back catalog. It features over 150 conversations with great clarinetists from all over the world, including Stanley Drucker, Laurie Friedman, Michael Lowenstern, Carlo Giuffredi, Maury Bakun, many, many others. And if you enjoyed what you heard, you're going to love what is coming up on the show as well. So do not forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This includes an episode with the legendary New Orleans clarinetist, Doreen Ketchens. This was one of my favorite conversations so far. She was such a treat to talk to. And she was one of my sort of bucket list guests to have on the show uh, a long time now. For years, I've wanted to have her on. It was just great to have the, the chance to speak with her finally. So I'd like to give a special thank you, of course, to our 70 Patreon backers who are supporting the production of the show and to our season sponsors Legere Reads and Bakun Musical Services. I had a couple questions come in about these products I think because the last week uh, episode was about Legere Reads so do head back and check that out if you're interested but Paul asks why do you not want to use a reed case with your Legere Reads that puts pressure on the tip? Uh, we did touch on this I think in the episode but uh, the reason I believe is because the tip of those reeds is rather thin so you do want to be careful not to put pressure on them and the reed case that actually comes with the new Legere Reads it, it doesn't put any pressure there at all, although it does seem to require quite a bit of force to push the reed in from the side with your thumb. You're not going to damage the reed that way. I've done it countless times now, and it works flawlessly. So trust the design. It sort of leaves the tip floating in the air, and uh, you can use that reed case uh, with confidence that it's not going to damage your reed. Whereas if you put one in a case that does put pressure there, you might get little splits, or it might warp the end slightly, which is not something you really want when you're making that kind of investment in your Legere reeds. So if you are interested in Legere, you can check out their website at legere.com. That's L-E-G-E-R-E.com, or wherever you get your reeds. The next question here was from Raymond. This is about Bakun products. And he says, how responsive is the Vocalese CG mouthpiece compared to a more closed-tip mouthpiece? And does it require a great amount of air and effort? Um, so I have to say that this is probably not the answer that most people want. But with mouthpieces, they're just so personal and kind of intimate that you really need to experience them for yourself. Um, I have found personally that the, the Vocalese series, I've had the chance to try all of them, all the way from the R, which is the most closed, to the Z, which is the most open. And then the CG is made out of sort of a synthetic crystal material, whereas the other ones are rubber. Um, so I think that one defining fact across the whole lineup is that 
first of all, they do work great with the Leger reeds we were just talking about. They were actually designed with those in mind because, you know, Richard Hawkins is a Bakun, sorry, a, a Leger artist, and he uses those reeds uh, almost exclusively. Um, now, that's not to say you can't use other reeds, but they are just designed to work with those. So you'll find they're a good match. Um, but another feature that I really like is that they do seem to have really incredible articulation. I remember when I was trialing them, um, I had a chance to play the R model, I think it was at the time. And I was with a student in a lesson and I went to play some really high passage that normally would require a couple of attempts. And it just came out flawlessly on the first time. And I had to stop the lesson and just say, wait a second, let me, let me try that again. <laughs> I did it a couple more times. And I was really impressed with the articulation, especially in the higher registers, which is, you know, it's a tougher section of the clarinet to articulate. So, um, but the truth of the matter with mouthpieces, like I was saying, is that they're just so personal. So it'd be kind of like you asking me, you know, what kind of shoe should I buy? Um, it really depends on what kind of shoes you like to wear and what kind of activity you're doing in those shoes. So let's say I like to go hiking. It's not going to be the same shoe as someone who's a basketball player or a runner is going to want. So I think that the best way to trial these products is to use the Bakun trial policy. They offer a 14 day return when you purchase from their website. Um, and what this will let you do is you can order a, a small selection of the mouthpieces and try them and even do some blind testing and see which one works for you. You might surprise yourself as far as which one you go with. And uh, again, I know that happened to me. I thought I'd like the H, but I ended up going with the R. It was my favorite in the end um, for just various reasons, mostly of comfort. So uh, comfort, how I sounded, and you know, you just want to go with the one that actually works best for you. So does it require a great amount of air and effort? I would say no if paired with the right reed. Um, and how does it compare to a closed tip mouthpiece? I think you got to find out for yourself on that one. But uh, I think that if there's something interesting about that synthetic crystal material, though, it does feel a bit more closed than it is. I'm not sure exactly why, but something to do with that material itself. So anyway, you can get 10% off your Bakun purchase by shopping at bakunmusical.com and using code Clarinet at checkout. Again, that's bakunmusical.com and code Clarinet at checkout. I kind of like this little Q&A at the end here. So if you do have any more questions about Legere Reads, Bakun products, um, or just clarinet in general, or anything you'd like to ask me, maybe I'll start doing this at the end of the podcast here. It was kind of kind of fun. So uh, you can send me a message at hello at clarinet.com or you can send me a message on the website by filling out the contact form there or I would love it if more people would leave me voicemails they're so fun to get but I only get a couple a month so if you do want to ask your question to me in the form of a voicemail um, you can do this on the website just by leaving it at clarinet.com and uh, I do reply to all the emails that get sent in personally and I love to hear from people all over the world. So thank you so much for listening to the show today. I better get outside because we're actually having some weather that's above 30 degrees here in Calgary where I live, which is really rare. Um, 30 degrees Celsius, by the way, not Fahrenheit. <laughs> that would be below freezing, I think, for Fahrenheit, which is what it's normally like here throughout the year. So uh, better enjoy that nice weather, but it will lead to some thunderstorms. Hopefully uh, not right when I decide to go outside. So anyway, thanks so much for listening. I'm your host, Sean Perrin, signing off from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And I look forward to seeing you next time on the Clarinet Podcast, the show for clarinetists.